approximately around the 430 B.C., so over 400 years before Christ would come. We wouldn't hear from the Lord again, you know, as far as having his word and what he'd say until John the Baptist came, you know, to prepare the way of the Lord. And we see him mention that at, at he, he, he leads us to that, you know, throughout the book of Malachi and especially ending off talking about the coming of Elijah. But in the opening of book one, we see a people, a redeemed people of the Lord, now settled back in their, in their homeland, roughly a hundred years after being, you know, delivered, after being dispersed because of their great sin, you know, and their, you know, and, and by, because of how far they had gone away from the Lord. And even though the, you could say the revival brought about during the, you know, during the time when they first returned, the rebuilding of the temple, we know here, as we talked about before, that the temple worship had begun again, so we know it was after that. That's why I say it was approximately around 430 B.C. But we see in here, and we talked about it, as one thing these people's love for the Lord had grown cold. We see that by, you know, by the way they're, you know, just bring, you know, profane his name and dishonor his name. And they despised the service of him. But also how they don't, they didn't believe. They didn't really see how the Lord loved them. And we, we talked about that when, in the very first charge in verse 2, the Lord reminds them that I have loved you, saith the Lord. And their reply, whether it's by words, but in their heart, because remember, the Lord's letting him know, we talked about that throughout this book, 27 different times in this short book, you know, he ends it, you know, saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, and to, right? And so we know that, and he was reminding them, I know all things. I know you. I know your hearts. Irregardless what other people think of you, irregardless what you may have even deceived yourself, I know you. I know where your heart is. I know the true you. You know, and I just think of that to mention one thing. Who we really are is who we are when we're alone, right? The thoughts we have when we're alone are when, when we're, that we entertain ourselves with, right? We may put on a show before others, but what do we do when we're by ourselves? What do we think about? What is entertaining? What do we really want to do? What really excites us? And the Lord knows all that. <clears throat> well, with that, after talking about, and he was showing them, he reminded them about a sow, how just look at it. I chose you, right? I set my love upon you. I redeemed you. I delivered you. Even after I dispersed all of you and I brought all the destruction upon not only the land of Israel, but upon all lands, he brought up, look at Edom, your blood relative. I didn't choose him or his descendants, and they will not rebuild. You'll see that. So consider that. That was one deep way for them to consider. But basically, you know, I always remember that the Lord chose them, and he set his love upon them, and he proved it to them over and over and over again. But here they are. You know, not believing that, because not feeling that. And they had progressed to the, to the point that they were living 
very sinful lives. And the reason I said it, I got to, for those of you listening here and those watching, kind of got to apologize and backtrack here because I know when I started this, I mentioned, you know, that this had to do with their hearts. They were outwardly serving the Lord. And part of that was true, but the other part, they obviously were also sinning greatly in their personal lives. Yet coming unto the Lord, just as in Isaiah, when you remember we read that, and therefore they were going through these forms of service, even though their heart was far from them, looking for his blessing, looking for his forgiveness, and, and yet despising him at the same time, and despising people. Remember the two tables of the law. First, our, our attitude and our actions and how we treat the Lord the Lord, and the, of course, now as Christians, the Lord Jesus Christ, God and the Lord Jesus Christ, and the other half of the table, right, how we treat others and what we do to others. And they were doing this, and but the reason I say that, and we'll get into that, is I changed that view, especially when I come up from verse 13 of chapter 1. But when you look also at chapter 2, in the first part of it, is all about how in the last half of it, I mean, how they put away their wives. They, they fervently divorce their wives. It's another break in the laws, but they are dealing treacherously toward them, but also treacherously toward their neighbors. And then the last thing, if you turn really quick, to uh, is go to chapter 3, verse 5. And I will come near to you to judgment. And I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, and against false swearers, and against those that oppress the hireling and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his right, and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. And of course, implication there being right, if there was a fear of God, they would not be living and habitually doing these things, Right? For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. You know, the children of God and the chosen of God may at times and do at times fall into sin. They will not stay there. They will answer, and eventually, if nothing else, they'll, they'll answer that call upon chastisement. But right, he says, just like when you sin, well, you know, you're not consumed because of this sin because of his covenant and his promise. But that doesn't give us an excuse to sin, right? Because he's called us just in the Old and the New Testament, be ye holy as I am holy, right? We know from Titus, from we know from Titus, right, the grace of God has come teaching us that denying all ungodliness, right, and living holy, righteous, and sober lives before him. So just like these people, for whatever reason, the depths that they had sunk into, and I believe to do a dual thing because their hearts were at, right, they had grown cold towards the Lord, and therefore they had grown cold toward his worship. Obviously, their heart wasn't in it because they didn't really love him. And then their continuous action towards their neighbors, right, just hardened them more and more. And just the way we can relate that to now, just like if we fall in or struggling to something, let us never give in to it because one thing we also need to realize 
sin begat sin. Even if we consider it, maybe convince ourselves it's a trifling thing. A little sin will lead to more sin. And therefore, that's why we're all to press on toward the mark of the high calling of God and Christ Jesus in our lives. Right? Because we can and we do at times slip and we struggle with things. But to never get to that point, if anyone has known people like this, but I remember counseling one person before, and I can't tell you how many times they said, well, I am who I am. That's so he had convinced himself, right? I am who I am. You know, it's uh, hard to teach a dog new tricks, things like that, right? And in a sense, that's denying the power of the grace of God in our lives, right? We're not, we're not saved by our holiness, by our righteousness, but because we are saved, and if we take to heart and realize that the word of God is true, that he's created us inside anew and given us of his spirit, and realize he's given us power to defeat this, that will give us much ammunition and that shield to help us progressively in our sanctification. But I say all this to say what, what changed in here, because, you know, he goes through leading up to where we're leading up to where I talked about in verse 11, where he gets into the future, right? For from rising of the sun, even to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place, incense shall be offered unto my name and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts, right? And he was talking there of the future, right? That, that time will come during the millennium reign that all, all on the earth will worship him. All will bring an offering. Those that don't will be cursed. You know, we, we go to the verse, but not going over that. He mentions that, right? And we'll see in other places we go through this book, just like right, he ends it off in chapter 4, talking about the coming of Elijah to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, though this is going to happen, though I will come one day and reign on the earth, in person, right, verse 12, but you have profaned it, his name, his holy, awesome, powerful, righteous name. They have profaned it. And that, that word, the profaned, is the Hebrew word kalal. Just sounds bad too, doesn't it? Kalal. To defile it, to prostitute it, to stain it, to wound it. Pretty hefty charge, right? And they're doing this by their false worship, their, their false worship and their sinful lifestyles. But the most important thing was how they are reacting towards the Lord in worship is what he's laying down in all of chapter 1 here. Because it goes on after he says in verse 12, but you have profaned it? In that ye say the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even as meat, is contemptible. And keep in mind that this meat that they bought unto him was right. The offerings were sin offerings. This was for forgiveness of sin, and then the people would partake of it afterwards, right? There was offering of the Lord. You know, when he says, I reject you, you you're sinning. You come and ask for me for forgiveness, but you just expect me to forgive you. You just expect me to forgive you even though you don't respect me, you don't fear me, you know, you, you, you're treacherous toward others. 
And I think relating that to today, what do we hear in the gospel now, right? Hey, cross that bridge. Give Jesus a try. Hey, he loves you and has a great plan for your life. Or when I talk about mere Christianity, just, just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. How you live your lives don't matter. And, you know, and I'll repeat that again. Yes, we're not about legalism. But to be pure and holy and reverence the Lord is not legalism. It's what the Lord has always commanded and expected. And even such more as he's even pointing out, I chose you, I set my love upon you, I called you out of the world, I saved you, I redeemed you. How can you not serve me in spirit and in truth? Right? And we get a lot of false converts, but I think we also maybe get people that are saved that they start on this and they go into this church and then they're mesmerized. Now, maybe it's just been me, but shortly into my walk, you know, I, I, I ended up coming into the charismatic movement. And it started off, you know, with the, all these great songs, I love Jesus, and all this stuff. But no real focus on sin, and only focus on particular verses and passages of Scripture. And it didn't produce. I'm not saying it won't, I guess, in anybody, but it ended up producing in me just what the Bible warns it is, right? It sets a trap. It becomes a stumbling block, right? It can harden you. It can steal you. And what did it steal from me? You know, joy. It turned my giving into a necessity and an expectation of receiving immediately for it, you know, material things, but kind of chasing a rabbit there. But, but not really. These people had come to a point, somehow deceived themselves into such a deal. They said, well, the law says this and that. Bring your sacrifices. Uh, do this. Do that, right? And the Lord will bless us. And we told that now, right? Hey, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, repeat this prayer after me. You're safe. Go do whatever you want. And then when you start preaching, they come upon and they start preaching about sin and about living a holy life and about living a righteous life. You get people that get up and storm out of the church, get accused saying, oh, they're legalists. They're just so hard. They, they don't get it. They, they don't get it. Won't any of us who really loved our children, do we ever discipline them when they do wrong or don't listen to us? Right? Of course, a lot of parents don't today because they're supposed to be, I guess, the best friends and so understanding, and that's why we see, you know, there's complete lack of respect for all authority and this entitlement. But that's where these people were. Well, yeah, we're the people of God. Therefore, he has to bless us as long as we do this. Okay. Verse 13. Ye said also, Behold, what a weariness is it. And, and, and I believe they weren't saying these things out loud, out in public and everything. I bet you, and sometimes he is, he is referencing the priest too in them, but, you know, I suppose behind closed doors. Sometimes not just themselves, but maybe between a few of them, right, that, you know, they were a little closer to knew one another. Oh, this is so weary, you know. But at least and for sure in their hearts, that's what they're doing, right? They saw this as being a weary thing, as being a tiresome thing. Oh, we gotta we gotta show up for temple. 
you know, or, or today, you know, oh, showing up for church. Oh, getting ready. Really? You know, or, you know, bringing our offerings. Well, I guess I will, but gosh, you know, what's the difference? I mean, I know all these other people that are, well, their lives seem to be going fine. Actually, they seem to be doing a lot better than I do. Which I do, right? And it's just sad, right, not expecting that, right, to be content with what we have and not realizing, as he started this out as, remember, I love you. Right? When we realize the great love he has for us, that will greatly influence our thoughts toward him and, our, and henceforth our behavior. Right? But we need to realize his great love and the great sacrifice and everything he has done for us and everything he promises, tells us he's doing even now and will perform in the future. Right, But when we realize all based upon because he loves us, he such greatly loves us, he calls all people to worship in all his commandments, but especially those that he has set his particular, his particular great saving grace upon. And he has snuffed at it. Imagine that. You know, what a, what a burden. And they say, oh, well, now with so many people claiming like they don't come to church, right? Because what? Well, what's the burden? Or why should I? What's the big deal? You know, sure, it says so. But, you know, that's just old school, right? I know the Lord. You know, I, you know, I knew one person, right? He never came to, didn't like coming to church. And he said, well, I get together and talk to the Lord, you know, when I'm out hunting. You know, when I'm out taking a walk. I knew this one person always had these prayer walks. I'm not saying you can't. But, they were such shallow people, very shallow in that way, you know, following that. But when you snuffed at it, you know, and what a proud, arrogant attitude, like, in, in a sense, right, that actually the Lord's no different than themselves, you know. You could, it, it's bad enough, right, but when you show arrogance over other people, in a sense you're also saying like you're a god over them. Then you even question the great authority that God has over us. Remember, we're grasshoppers in his sight. We're nothing. We're, we're a breath, a vapor. <laughs> I mean, he looks up, he, he just looks, looks upon us all. We just realize that, that he needs us not at all. He has chosen us. He has loved us. And because he set his love upon us, he has chosen to bring glory unto his name by saving us. He'll bring glory unto his name in judgment also. Amen. But they snuff at it, saith the Lord of hosts. And you bought that which was torn, and the lame and the sick. Thus you bought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord. And of course, if you look back, go to verse 9. And now I pray you, beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. So again, right, bringing the offerings, because in verse 8, and if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? It, yes. Right, these are rhetorical. And if you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Well, yes. Offer now unto thy governor, will he be pleased with thee? Or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? He says, of course not. Because you show contempt. The governor would realize that you disrespect him and you hold him in contempt if you would bring him such a thing. How much more the Lord, right? But verse 9, And now I pray you, beseech God, that he will be gracious unto us. This hath been by your means, 
Will you regard your person, saith the Lord of hosts? So you would dare treat me with this utter contempt and yet expect me to bless you. And they did. They did. They still expected his blessing, even though they were doing this. But here's the thing, and I was talking to Brother Dean about this uh, before we started here. I was, you know, I, I, I hold to the King James. I love reading the King James. But I also look at the NASB. And I, I'd still hold to the King James Version. But, you know, when every translation comes in, they got to look at and decide what word to use. Now, that word, torn, it's not used in the first one, right? When he brings it up in verse 8, you know, you, you bring, right, the blind, the lame, and the sick, right? Well, he brings it up in verse 9, he says, the torn, the lame, and the sick. Now, almost every commentary I read, and I'm a couple dozen, they say that this is a reiteration, just reiterating verse 8. Well, no, he's adding to the charge. Because that word torn, I looked up with NASB. And if you have a, if someone had a newer translation, you'll see the word in there, robbery. Or I think even in the New King, James, right? Stolen, that which was stolen. Now there's interesting, and the way my mind works, right? Jesus, is that right, Lord? So, you know, being all dutiful, I grabbed my concordance. Now look up the word. That's the only time torn is used. I found the word torn 16 times in Scripture. Only once is this, use, this word used. Every other place it means wounded, torn by animals, a couple times even, right, wounded or, or punished by God. But in this place, well, here's what the word means, what it can mean. It's different interpretations, right? Torn is the Hebrew word gazal, to pluck off, specifically to flay, strip, or rob, to catch, to consume, to exercise, in particular, robbery, in parentheses there. Spoil, take away, in parentheses, by force or violence, tear. So I went a little further and I looked at the words. All the words going that, that I saw in the different commentaries, except a couple of them did mention the word robbery because they were going by a newer translation. And, but they just said the same thing, that the Lord just referring to the same thing. I'm going, that changes the whole, that adds another layer to this whole thing. In, in, my, in, in my opinion... Because I looked up the words torn, I looked up tear, I looked up a prey, I looked up, nope, none of these words. I did find this word in several places, though. Uh, and being a theologian, but to, get you, to bring you all on board with where this leads me, and hopefully let us let the scriptures speak to itself and see if this changes when you read it. It all to you, right? He bought that which was torn. Okay. Well, by which was taken by force or robbery. Now, consider that. But go to Genesis 21, 25. We're just going to be good students of the word here and, and, take a, and take a look at this, the other places in the scripture 
where this word uh, gazal is used. Genesis 21, verse 25. And Abraham reproved Abimelech because of a well of water, which Abimelech's servants had violently taken away. That word is translated violently. Same word. Okay. Going to Leviticus chapter 6. And I just want us to see because I want to make sure because I am going to add something that I didn't see in the commentaries I was writing here because I just, I like studying out words. It's the way my mind works. Leviticus chapter 6 in verse 2. If a soul sin and commit a trespass against the Lord and lie unto his neighbor and that which was delivered him to keep are in fellowship or in a thing taken away by violence or hath deceived his neighbor. Okay, violently, there, violence. Leviticus 19.13. And I think you'll see why I kind of want to belabor this point a little bit here. Because, as I said, I'm kind of going on the mainstream on the adding something to the interpretation that I read in all the commentaries I read. Leviticus 19, verse 13. Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. There, that it's that same word, gazal, rob. Okay, go to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 31. Thine ox shall be slain before thine eyes, and thou shalt not eat thereof. Thine ass shall be violently taken away from before thy face. Let's stop there so we don't have to real. Violently. Now we see that violently, violence, rob, violently, right? And, right? and we're going through these systematically. This is all the references I could find for this word. Uh, go to Judges chapter 9, just ahead there a couple books, right? Judges chapter 9, verse 25, and the men of Shechem set liars in wait for him in the top of the mountains, and they robbed all that came along by the way, robbed, same word, gazal. Go to Job chapter 20. Take good old Esther, and then we come up on Job. Job chapter 20, verse 19. Because he hath oppressed and hath forsaken the poor, because he hath violently, gazal, taken away a house which he built not. On a couple chapters to chapter 24 in Job. Chapter 24, verse 2. Some remove the landmarks. They violently take away flocks and feed thereof. Same word, gazal. Go to Proverbs. We're almost done. Proverbs chapter 22. Right? It's always good, you know, as we read the word of the Lord, right? Where you'll just speak to us and use it in our hearts and that to, you know, to set something forth and maybe uh, 
correct us or inspire us, exhort us. Proverbs 22, verse 22. Rob not the poor. <laughs> Rob, Gazal. Proverbs chapter 28. Went ahead there a little further. Proverbs 28, verse 24. Whoso robbeth his father or his mother, and saith it is no transgression, the same as the companion of a destroyer. Okay, I read that, but again, robbeth. Gazal. And last, but not least, go to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah 61. And I just love it that this is the last place I found it, and I'll explain something, but this actually is the Greek word gazelle, but it's just a more, like, intense form, right? You, you have committed this thing, you, you have done this, but it's... It starts out, right? It's taken from the word gazal of everything we just read here. So it's right along in line with it. So Isaiah 61, verse 8. For I, the Lord, love judgment. I hate robbery for burnt offering. That's that's film, right? I hate, right? I find abominable. I detest you bringing me something that you got by violence that you took from another by force without paying for it, and you bring it unto me and offer it up to me, and I'm supposed to accept it, right? You don't, you don't take that to heart. <clears throat> Pretty powerful. Uh, I can't remember why I don't. Does anybody, uh, hmm, I think I forgot to write it down. Anyone recall where it is in scripture when the man was going to give King David, you know, just give something to his to offer unto the Lord? And, and David told him, far be it from me, I will pay you, I will not give an offering to the Lord that cost me nothing. I believe it's in 2 Samuel. I, I, I thought I had written it down, but obviously not. But the whole point there, I wanted to, I, I mentioned that, to mention this, right? What he's saying, right? When we offer something unto the Lord, right? Especially, we're offering to the Lord, right? We're showing, he doesn't need anything from us. But by it, right, it helps us keep in remembrance that he's God, that he's given us all things. He's in complete control of our lives. We're dependent upon him for the very breaths we take. And we just acknowledge that when we offer unto him. You know, and then, of course, we know the offerings. It, what did I dream that, right? That was a type of, right? He was saying, right? That, right? No. It needed to be a perfect sacrifice, typifying, right, eventually the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we put these, these things today, let's go back to Malachi. We try, you know, how can we apply this to us today? I mean, 
to me in so many ways, but to, to watch our hearts and to realize if this speaks to us, you know, Lord, we want to speak to us, but always keeping in mind that first and foremost, right, the Lord, he is God. He controls all things, right? He knows our very thoughts. He knows what we're going to do before we do them, right? He's, he, let us remember that though we consider and are his people, those of us that truly trust in him and believe on him, He'll chastise his people, you know. And we get rewards according to the work we've done, or we can lose rewards by not working. But he still calls us to holiness. And in this day and age, right, that's the last thing we want to hear about. People don't want to hear about that word holy has become an offensive word unto a lot of quote-unquote church people who many consider themselves Christians, you know, are, but as a matter of fact, it's a very important thing. But more, most importantly is not ju just our actions, but, you know, they, they had, violently they had sinned against another person and then bought that thing which they stole, which they got, which they got through robbery by violence, by taking from, you know, taking from something, right? Not only bring something that didn't cost them anything, they bought something that actually cost somebody else something. And they, they offered up to them. How vain is that? And they didn't see a problem with that. Right? What a... I, it's just amazing when he brings these things down, right? <sighs> yes, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and for us, how could I, people see us, people see us Christians, people see us, you know, uh, ones who claim to be godly people on that, but they watch us, they listen to us, and when he says you polluted it, they were in a, 
in fact, polluting it. But when he gives them the charge, right, that right, his name shall be great among the heathen in chapter 11 and then verse 12, but you have profaned it. You know, and that you offer polluted bread. By their actions, what they are doing, they are profaning the name of the Lord, defiling it before others. Well, for others to see, right, they're, they're disregarding and trampling underfoot his most holy name. And they didn't have a problem with that. And they didn't even see it in a lot of these ways. We, you know, we, we talked about that, right? He grins the charge. I loved you, saith the Lord. Yet you say, where and else thou loved us? Right? <laughs> he, he brings a charge that he does, they don't show him fear or honor. And their answer, where have we despised thy name? Just oblivious. Oblivious to that. And, you know, Dean, you brought a good point to that point. I think these people, one, I, I do believe, right, they, they had drifted so far away. But we need to be careful and always guard ourselves and examine ourselves frequently to see, are we drifting away? Because, you know, we sing that song. It, it's a favorite song of mine, right? But, you know, prone to wonder. You know that song, Oh, to grace, I was talking to Brother Keith about that earlier. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. You know, the longer I walk with the Lord, the more and more and more I realize that I owe him everything. I am indebted to him, and I lean upon his grace. Yeah, go ahead. You know, when we think about that, and, you know, to end this up, just want to mention about, you know, that he mentioned at the end of 13, just like he mentions in verse 9, right, he asks the question at the end of chapter 13 and 9, should I accept this of your person? And it's rhetorical. No! You know, just like, just like he mentioned in that, if you bought these offerings, 
any of these things you bring me unto a governor, <laughs> what's the first thing he's going to realize? That you despise him, you're corrupting him. Or henceforth, you're trying to get one over on him. Right, but the Lord knows all things. But there's two things. One, at the very start of it, you know, he tells them that he loves them, reminds them of his love. He wanted to stir him up about that. Remember, I have chosen you. And he ends it off in chapter 14. You know, cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male, and voweth and sacrifices unto the Lord a corrupt thing. So this is a person that, I mean, he's knowingly, right? He's knowingly deceiving. He's letting everyone, right? Probably proclaiming, I think of Ananias and Sapphira, right? Yeah, we sold it. We're bringing it all over the Lord. Woo! But they kept back apart, right? What was the thing? Not that they had kept back apart. The reason they had lied, saying they were given all of it. This person had vowed the best, and he was bringing the worst. And cursed be him, right? And cursed be all these all these actions that they're doing. But particularly that, and sacrificing the Lord a corrupt thing. And how much more corrupt, not only that, in that he's knowingly in his heart, but how corrupt is it when he brings him a stolen item? <laughs> wow. But also, and why? For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts. And my name is dreadful among the heathen. When they know the name, and he talks about that, even then, I would assume there were people that still heard about that when they, the God of Israel was someone to be reckoned with. And the day will come when everyone will realize that. But right? Just, and the fact is, even people who aren't saved yet, some, not all, you know, who are still in, in true fear of the Lord and, and so guilty and believing they'll earn, earn their way to heaven, and that's unfortunate, religious people. But I would say one thing, at least they have a fear of God. I'm not excusing that, but they have a fear of coming under his punishment, but also realizing just that, Right? If there is a God, at least your common sense would realize, oh, he must be powerful, <laughs> at least in some sense. But the thing I may want to get in, he's telling his people, I am a great king. I am the Lord of hosts. I set my love upon you. I love you. I chose you. And you serve me in spirit and in truth. For, and not only that, right, just like, just like I said earlier at the start in Titus, right, the grace of God teaches us that we're to deny and put aside all ungodly things and ungodly thoughts, all ungodliness, right, and live holy, righteous, and sober lives, right, just straight-minded, you know, sober-minded lives, right, and to serve him, right, just the commandment, right, Lower our heart, soul, mind, and strength. With all that is within us, that should be, and is supposed to be, our determination. Right? And then by his grace and his power, and just keeping in mind, right, staying in his word. That's why it's in his old in Psalm 119, remember? He stayed in his word. He didn't deny his word. He wasn't perfect. Read that out at the very end. He asked the Lord to forgive him because he, had, he was straying away. But what did it do? Because he was in the word, he hated sin. And not only hated it, he also cried and wept because of the sin in the society around him. Do we? Do I? 
Do I always? Are things that used to repulse me, do, do I still know they're repulsive? Or they, or do they repulse me less? And if our answer to that is yes, then that's just a yellow flag saying, hey, the world's creeping in on us. The world's creeping in on us. You know, are, are there enter, entertainments we have? Are there those weights? Are there things, as in Hebrews says, not just sin, but weights that are maybe dragging us away, dragging us down, right? Because when, I, when we read what Scripture talks about what an attitude of a man of God should be, we need, that's how we compare ourselves. And a good way to compare ourselves as far as our Christian growth is what's our attitude about sin in ourselves and especially around ourselves and sin in society. You know, not trying to you know, immediately be condemning on other people, but does it make us weep? And do we not want anything to do with it? It doesn't make us weep, actually. It just shows that we're at least to some degree becoming a little hardened toward it. And we need to just be aware of that. Is there anything, any last comments or questions? Yeah, Mike. And you, you mentioned that, you know, in First John, right? You say, the most important thing in what God's saying here to these people, that I know your hearts, right? And I know what you really think. But also, right, what we say is not near important. Of course, I mean, you know, <laughs> it, in the respect that we can say we're good people, we can say we're believers, we can say we love the Lord, we can say we love others, we can say whatever, our actions show who we really are and what we really believe and what we really treasure is our actions. And what we believe in our hearts and minds, what we believe in our minds affects our heart, right? They're connected, but what we believe and what we hold dear in our hearts and minds will bring out our actions every time. That will be our general actions. With that, uh, let us close in a word of prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Son. We thank you so much for, for setting your love up.